This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance. I'm an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant, an expert witness, an author, and producer of these videos. Today I'd like to talk about the burden of proof with regard to first-party property claims. It is the obligation of the insured to prove that property has been physically damaged. The loss of marketability is not a peril insured under a property policy. Only physical damage to tangible property is insured. The U.S. Court of Appeal affirmed a district court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania and found that a leaking water pipe can bring about a loss of personal property. One of the insured's employees noticed that the ground was saturated with water and that the water meter was spinning rapidly. This led to the conclusion that the water from the underground pipe was escaping after passing through the water meter. Confirmation of this conclusion came in the form of a water bill for $39,523.45. The insureds contended that the all-risk policy should cover this expense, but the insurer disagreed and argued that this was a pecuniary loss as distinguished from a physical loss of property. The court in Gotti versus the Hanover Insurance Company, a 1985 decision, ruled that coverage existed, stating the insurer's position ignored the common sense meaning of the phrase physical loss. The water became the property of the insured once it passed through the water meter and therefore the subsequent escape of water was a physical loss of the insured's personal property. The water, in an action by an insured, on an insurance contract, the burden of proof is on the insured to establish every fact essential to his cause of action and also to establish that his claim is within the policy's coverage. Accordingly, a court would find and did find that the burden of proof is on the plaintiff to prove that any damage under coverage B for the contents or personal property was caused by a named peril by a preponderance of the evidence. The applicability of an exception to an exclusion is a question of coverage on which the insured has the burden of proof after the insurer carries the burden to establish the applicability of the exclusion. The insured bears the burden of showing that there is coverage. However, the insurer bears the burden of proving the applicability of any exclusion in the policy that permits the insurer to deny coverage. The insured's initial burden is to prove coverage. The burden only after the insured 
complies and fulfills that initial burden, does the burden shift to the insurer to prove the application of an exclusion to deny coverage. If it meets that burden, the burden shifts back to the insured to prove an exception to an exclusion. Insureds attempt to invoke the ensuing loss exception in many, if not all, times when an exclusion seems to apply. The adjuster faced with a close call should consider leaning toward a covered loss whenever a doubt exists. The test this author suggests is to ask, can the property be used for the purpose for which it was designed and built in the same manner it was used before the event claimed to cause a loss? If the answer is no, there is no property damage. In that regard, consider the mysterious disappearance exclusion. Typical of such a mysterious disappearance is the situation that was found in Johnson v. General Accident, a 1970 decision, where the plaintiff took her daughter to school and then went shopping between 8 and 9 a.m. During that time, a diamond wristwatch she had been wearing disappeared. The Texas Court of Civil Appeals found that the loss was a disappearance under circumstances which excite and at the same time baffle wonder or curiosity. In Farmland Industries v. National Union, a 2004 decision from Kansas, the insurers argued that the lost gas is excluded from the policy as an unexplained or mysterious disappearance of property. A mysterious disappearance, the court found, is any disappearance or loss under unknown puzzling or baffling circumstances which arouse wonder, curiosity, or speculation, or circumstances which are difficult to understand or explain. The insurers argued that farmland can furnish no explanation whatsoever for its loss. Theft is not a mysterious disappearance. The insured need not prove who is responsible for the theft to overcome the policy exclusion. It is the insurer's burden to prove that the policy exclusion is applicable. If the insured can prove that something other than a mysterious disappearance accounts for its lost natural gas, summary judgment on the exclusion is inappropriate. The New York Supreme Court Appellate Division refused to find that the loss of an insured's diamond ring, which fell from the insured's pants pocket, was a mysterious disappearance. Specifically, the court observed that the mysterious disappearance clause did not cover the mysterious inability to find lost property. Further, a loss will not be considered mysterious 
If a logical and highly probable explanation for the disappearance exists, which explanation excludes other possibilities? Coverage was denied and insured in Chadwick versus Aetna, a 1970 decision of the North Carolina Courts of Appeal, when evidence tended to show that jewelry was stolen from a jeweler by an unidentified man and woman who pretended to be customers at the jewelry store. The loss was discovered during a spot check of the inventory approximately nine days after the alleged theft. The Chadwick court found that the facts of the case did not warrant recovery and ordered a new trial, noting that the language of the policy plainly bars recovery for unexplained losses or for mysterious disappearances, however they come to light. Unlike policies that insure against the name peril of mysterious disappearance, some inland marine policies and livestock policies exclude loss by mysterious disappearance. This is especially true with regard to livestock policies, since the livestock can get up and walk away on their own without the intervention of a thief. Now, other policies exclude dishonest acts, and fraud by one insured does not necessarily bar a claim by any other insured who is innocent of the fraud unless, as in most states and most insurance services office policies, the language of the clause specified that, quote, if an insured or any insured commits the fraud, no insured may recover. In some instances, it has been held that misconduct of one insured does not bar recovery of an innocent co-insured, holding a separable interest. Although a particular insured might be innocent of wrongdoing, the exclusion bars coverage for loss or damage caused by the dishonest or criminal act of the insured's partners, employees, directors, trustees, authorized representatives, or anyone who, to whom the insured entrusts the property for any purpose, close quote. Therefore, committing a dishonest act breaches the insurance contract as to all insureds. Often, people who commit insurance fraud attempt to present the fact that neither they nor anyone else was arrested or convicted of fraud as evidence in a civil action claiming they defrauded the insurer. Many courts have adopted the rule that a federal trial court commits reversible error when it permits the plaintiff in a suit for fire insurance proceeds to present evidence of his non-prosecution on related criminal arson charges. Because, of course, the burdens of proof are so different. The burden of proof in a criminal case is beyond a reasonable doubt, while the burden of proof in a civil case is only a preponderance, 50% plus one, of the evidence. 
The Ninth Circuit applying the rule concluded with regard to a dishonest act exclusion to provide coverage for an innocent spouse or innocent partner. It stated that had American states intended that the wrongful act of any insured would void the policy, it could have unambiguously drafted and included such language in the contract. Since the parties may preordain the extent of coverage by clear and unambiguous contract terms, had the insurer included terms like any or an insured in its exclusion rather than, quote, the, close quote, insured, it could have voided coverage. For an insured to contend that the language fraud by the insured only eliminates coverage to the insured who actually commits the fraud and allows the policy to indemnify those insured not actively involved in the fraud is, in my opinion, an act of sophistry. If fraud makes a policy void, it does not exist. A policy that does not exist cannot indemnify anyone. If the contract is void as to one insured, it should be void as to all insureds, whether the condition refers to the insured or to any insured. The insured whose spouse or partner commits fraud is not without a remedy. Indemnity may be had against the fraud perpetrator. Yet many courts refuse to accept the obvious and attempt to find coverage for the apparently innocent co-insureds. In policies involving co-insureds, for example, South Carolina has held that where an insurance policy creates several individual obligations among co-insureds, criminal acts by one co-insured does not bar the innocent co-insureds from recovering under the policy. In Valenti v. Allstate Insurance Company, the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Pennsylvania found that when husband and wife are named insured and one insured commits the crime of arson for profit, the entire policy is void regardless of a possible ambiguity caused by the term the insured. The court concluded that there was no question that the definition of the term insured person included both policyholders and therefore was joint and not several. Further, the language in the policy declaring the policy void as a result of fraud referred to, quote, you, close quote, which was defined to include all named insureds. The court found the policy unambiguous and stated that if one spouse was actually innocent, the policy was still completely void. The issue concerning co-insureds, with one claiming to be innocent and the other found to be guilty of an intentional act sufficient to void coverage, is different in multiple states, and the claims person should, when faced with such a claim, seek advice from competent 
Coverage Council operating in the state where the loss occurred. This video was adapted from my book, Zelma on Insurance Claims, Part 104, Second Edition, which is available as both a Kindle book and as a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be useful or of interest to your colleagues, please pass it on. It's free. And please also subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, and my blog so that you can be advised of future videos and future blog postings. Thank you for your attention.